Hello and welcome to episode two of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 23rd of January 2017. I'm Joe and with me are Jesse. Evening. Phelim. How's it going? And Ike. How are you? Oh, not too bad. So let's just start with you, Jesse, and uh, one of your predictions that you heard quite a lot about. Yeah, so one of my predictions was that the there would be Ubuntu in cars or an announcement of that ilk. And it's been pointed out by numerous people that the Tesla already runs on Ubuntu. So given that it sort of is already a thing, and I clearly didn't do my research properly, uh, I should make a new one. I haven't spent two weeks racking my brain uh, like I probably should have done, but as Phelan said last time, thinking about predictions is uh, is a bit of an art, and uh, thinking about three is just too much for me. So I'm going to go with um, a fairly broad, I'm going to say Sailfish is going to have a big year. Uh, this is mostly backed by you know the Russian government saying it's the thing they want to, to use in government and what have you, and... I think there might be, maybe they'll get a new funding or something, but there'll be some sort of push from Sailfish this year. And as it's, I think, the best option that is an Android, uh, it's sort of a, a wish of mine as well. Sean, the sheep prediction there. So your wooliness has to be somehow quantified. How do we do that? Uh, like, I've, I've stepped back from saying a new phone. Um, okay, let's, let's say a new release, a new big release of the software how's that what if nobody uses it oh no one uses it already so that's 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 neither here nor <laughs> so, there so five people use it and you win <laughs> yeah yeah okay I, I also have to point out that um your prediction about uh no internet for a day uh you know the internet going down worldwide has come horribly home uh hit home very hard for me because uh i came home one day and there was no internet in the house and it's an upstream problem something at one of the connections or what have you so for about well i still don't have any we're recording this in a bit of a uh ad hoc way but for like five days so far i've had no internet and it's a nasty place to be so i, I hope that uh your prediction doesn't come right so pretty much one nil to me then so far. Yeah, in, <laughs> in my world, yeah. I never said who. Okay, maybe it is. Damn. <laughs> right, okay, let's get on with it then. Um, let's start with a bit of news. And the first one, it's not really news, I suppose, that there are some Dell laptops available with Ubuntu. They have been for a while now. One of them is $100 cheaper if you get it with Ubuntu. Really, I wanted to put this in just to give Dell a shout out, really give them some free publicity, which I think they deserve. Because if you're going to put out machines with Linux on them, even if it's a distro that none of us actually use Ubuntu, at least it's Linux hardware available from a major manufacturer. So well done, Dell. Yeah, and I have two of them. Ah, which ones do you have? Well, I have the second gen XPS 13 myself. Um, I got that, oh, it's almost three years ago at this point, which is a bit scary. Um, and it's been fantastic. I love it. I uh, never had any trouble with it. That one thing that I heard is that originally with the, uh, the Project Sputnik laptops, they required um, sort of custom kernels and stuff to work properly. But they have talked about um, upstreaming that, that stuff. Has that happened then? Is it supported by basically any distro that you throw at it now? <laughs> well, I've obviously tried one maybe two distros, <laughs> both based in Ubuntu. But I, when I got mine, I guess it was 2011. So no, sorry, it was 2013. So I went straight to the latest Ubuntu that was out then, which was 13.10. And I had no issue with it. And I know 
uh, Laura Cohn from the um, Ubuntu UK podcast had one, and she went with 12.4 and did have trouble. So maybe as it was sold with 12.4, I think maybe they did have some trickery going on there. Um, but I never had any trouble from that from the from the get go. Mine was fine. And so, if you stick sixteen oh four on it now, it's just going to work perfectly. Oh yeah, I mean, well, that's what that's what the base of mine is. Uh, KD Neon base is sixteen oh four, and it's been working great, no problem at all. Um, my wife's got one, and hers is the fifteen inch one. It's not an XPS; it's the supposedly Dell Precision fifteen fifty five ten. Oh yeah, um, and that one's been good. Only slight issue was the high DPI screen on it. Um, that was a bit tricky, but not not. not sort of showstopper but it was it was fine don't tell me you forced kde on your wife as well she chose she chose <laughs> to go with it. it's not my fault <laughs> brainwashed there are four lights so when you got those laptops you reinstalled ubuntu on top of them you haven't just let them run with uh sort of dell support i mean is is the, is the version of ubuntu on there just stock ubuntu i think i had a quick look at it back in the day and it looked fairly stock to be quite honest um I didn't, yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty quick to wipe it. I, mean, I looked at it, I said, oh, you know, I have to boot it. It booted into OEM mode, I think, at the time, and checked it, looked okay, and then wiped it straight away after that. Fair enough. But I think I think the major part of this story is the fact that they are $100 cheaper, so the sort of base version of, they're all sort of these high-end workstations, they're maybe eight, dollars $900,000. So £100, sorry, $100 off it is a, you know, a fair chunk, and we often say how bad it is that when um, someone or you know manufacturer comes out with an Ubuntu version or a Linux version, they're the same price. Yet we always talk about the Microsoft tax and what have you. So at least Dell are, are doing the right thing. And it is about four years since the this sort of Sputnik idea of having the XPS came out. So they're obviously obviously it's going well. And after four years, you know, strength to strength. Yeah, and tens of millions of dollars worth of laptops have been sold just with. Uh, I think that's just the XPSs, not including the other ones. So most important thing, it's that they're a business, aren't they? They need to shift units, otherwise they're not going to keep doing this. And that seems to be happening. They do seem to be selling them, which is brilliant news. And it would be good if other manufacturers could get on board with this and take the hint that there are Linux users who don't want to buy Windows. They, they do want to just get a machine that's running perfectly with Linux out of the box. Yeah, speaking of Linux out of the box, uh, something that hasn't been available for quite a long time but is now uh, not so much shipping but has availability is Mycroft on the Raspberry Pi. There's an image you can download. Anyone tried it? I'm going to. Um, I kind of have a theory about where this is going. It's not the most positive theory, but, you know, it's me. So... Everyone's kind of been talking about Mycroft now for a very, very long time. You know, there's been a lot of hype about them. You know, you've got this, I'm not going to call it AI because it's not, I'm sorry, but it's not artificial intelligence. It's a personal digital assistance. But that aside, I think they're going to go completely the open source route, only software. And I personally do not think the hardware side is going to come to fruition. But surely the hardware bit's the easiest bit to do. I mean... It's a speaker and a speaker and a microphone. <laughs> it's not rocket science. I mean, there are manufacturing costs. There's shipping costs. Um, I mean, even yeah, exporting true. things, you got to make sure that they uh, meet certain regulations. And if you're exporting in the US as well, well, you know, you're kind of screwed every six ways from Sunday there. 
Um, I do think it's easier for them to do software, and I do think they're starting to transition towards that because it almost started to feel like they was becoming a bit like Phantomware. You didn't know if anything was going to come of it, and now suddenly there's a Raspberry Pi image and still no new deliveries of hardware. <laughs> yeah, it must be very annoying if you backed the project and you're still there waiting and you still haven't got any hardware. I mean, I've tried this Raspberry Pi image, and it says that you need to plug in a, a generic USB microphone. Well, I've got a fair few USB audio bits of equipment, and I tried everything, and nothing would work. Basically, I think you need a very simple USB microphone, and I don't have that. I've got loads of interfaces and recorders, and I tried with a webcam. That's the the simplest thing that's got a mic on it, but that didn't work either. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to get it up and running. You do have to register it on their website to make it do anything. That's the first thing it does. It spits out a code that you have to go and type in and register your account and everything. So I tried it, but I didn't get very far with it. And I've I've heard from people who have tried it that, well, it's no Alexa, is it? It's no Amazon Echo, which is massively popular at the moment. I mean, this is the thing that's puzzled me for uh, since day one of this, because it's been touted as, you know, it's Mycroft.ai. That that's their website, and they yeah. they've put themselves down as the artificial intelligence solution for Linux. But I mean, what you really have is something, as you say, like Alexa or Cortana. Or that's kind of the field this is in. Except it's not backed by the massive infrastructure. It's not backed by you know the machine learning. This is simple procedural responses from fuzzy language interpretation. You know, it does do really good with natural language processing. I'll give it that. But AI, it is not. Yeah, but if AI is sort of a, a phrase to make, you know, normals kind of understand what's going on or, or leave, even if it's lying a little bit, it, it's close enough. I'm, you know, I agree it's more of a personal assistant, but surely the benefit of Mycroft is that if they can get that first, um, like I say, natural language processing working and understanding instructions, if it's open source, then you just have to throw it out there and people can have the freedom to to mess around like they want to with Alexa, but they're just unable to because Amazon have, have like locked it all down, haven't they? They have locked it down, but I mean, you said you have to sign up to Mycroft's infrastructure to get this started. So if they made it possible that you could set up, say, like your own local cluster for testing, because it's easier to do, and focus more on getting the open source software out and more frequent releases then yeah, more people are going to hack on it, more people are going to advance it, and then you're going to have something along the lines of Siri. I mean, the the latest stuff with Siri was, you know, they have a big open database now, well, open-ish, in that developers can contribute to it and effectively enhance the collective intelligence, if you like, for what it's capable of. I mean, this is open source. You could easily pull that off with something like Minecraft. The more people can contribute to it, the more releases they get out, the better it's going to get. As for the hardware side of it, I, I don't see that coming to fruition. But the elephant in the room here is that it's a bit shit, isn't it, compared yeah. to uh, Alexa? If you hear Alexa speak, and you know that was in Mr. Robot, and you know it's properly mainstream, it sounds like a person talking, okay, a slightly robotic person, whereas Mycroft, to hear that talking, you can barely understand a word it's saying. Yeah, I mean, it's Microsoft Sam, isn't it? <laughs> It's, I would say worse, to be honest. <laughs> it's supposed to be Popey. I mean, I'd heard that he'd done the voice for it, and then it's just unrecognizable. And he defends it by saying, yeah, well, Amazon is you know, a multi-billion dollar corporation and all that. But at the end of the day, if you're a consumer looking at this thing, 
it it's really a bit of a joke compared to the competition. And yeah, it's open source, which is good, but if it's open source and not very good, then what's the point of it? Yeah, I mean that that's kind of a frequent pattern we have in open source, don't we? Like someone mm, yeah. say this this new application's out, you, you can do this with it and it could write things and it's open source. It's like fantastic. Is it any good? But 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 you know as much as things might be open source, there's definitely a market around things and we know you can monetize markets anyway. So there's there's no excuse nowadays to put something out that is open source and bad. You've kind of got to go the full mile or why are you even trying? Yeah. I mean, it's weird that you look on the server side of things and you wouldn't dream of using anything other than Linux with like Nginx or Apache, maybe once upon a time. Uh, yet when it comes to kind of consumer facing stuff, the, the open source version is always or invariably just terrible compared to the closed source commercial one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got to change. Um, Funnily enough, I was having a conversation there the other day with the, the guys from Linux Gamecast and came up on Google Plus and it seems there is a collective attitude that people are kind of, they're kind of tired of this now because every year it's the same thing. We have people heralding the year of the Linux desktop and I can't even say that seriously. <laughs> you know, you just, you've heard it so often and you're like, yeah, but I mean, Nero burning ROM from 10 years ago was better than Brazero now. And Brazero was dead. And that's just a simple example. I mean, probably the best looking uh, application available for Linux is Etcher, which runs on Windows and made from Node.js, and that's to write Linux ISOs. But there's a new effort starting up now, and I, I'm really sorry, but I forget the name of it. Try and link it afterwards. Basically, getting a few heads together, uh, myself, Martin Wimpress, uh, Daniel Foray, and Cassidy. I forget his surname. That's really bad. Uh, basically, everyone's going to be invited to this organization, GitHub, going to put a lot of issues up. This stuff sucks really bad. Can we put some eyes on it? <laughs> so, Yeah, I'd actually link that as a possibility to talk about later as a pipe dream or an excellent idea. Ah. Which, um, yeah, I don't know. It it seems like a reasonable idea, but it it seems like a bit of a pipe dream at the same time to, to try and get loads of distros to work together. I mean, it's one of the perpetual problems, isn't it, of open source of trying to make people not just say, right, I don't like how you're doing it. So instead of helping you, I'm going to start totally from scratch. Mm. You know, hmm, that sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it, Ike? Um, fine. <laughs> 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 I mean, you've got good technical reasons for why you started Solus, but at the same time, it's still part of, you're part of the problem, aren't you? I am part of the problem because I look at other implementations. I'm like, that. this is no, no. And then you get the whole eye twitch thing going on and, you know, you just can't let it go. Um, but I mean, the, the focus here isn't so much as distros working together. It's the people from those distros working together. So... It's it's kind of trying to dismiss the territorial issue because, you know, like, well, Solus is doing this or Ubuntu is doing that or Arch Linux is getting rid of an installer. I don't know. But it's, it's getting the people from those who actually want that enhanced user experience, getting those to work together and work on distro agnostic projects as opposed to enhancing their distributions. And I think that's got to be the change here. Instead of the distros working together, it's just got to be people from various things getting together under one place and say, right, these things suck. Let's work on that thing. It could even be an existing project. It doesn't matter. 
And I think that's the idea. There's long-standing things in Linux, which are just terrible. Bluetooth. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Oh, Bluetooth is the... It, to be fair, even in Windows, it's terrible. But um, occasionally, I get a distro where it works well, and it seems to be uh, the the more modern ones, the, basically things that are GTK3 based or KDE uh, Plasma 5 based, whereas anything that's older like XFCE or Mate, forget about it. It's not really happening. But I did install Solus on my Chromebook and got Bluetooth working. So that that gives you a big tick. Well done. Just not USB. <laughs> yeah. Well, USB works, but trying to shut it down, I, I sent you that screenshot, well, the photo of it, and it just it doesn't want to shut down. You have to kind of hold the power button down. So mm. the, room for improvement there. But <laughs> as long as Bluetooth works, it means that I don't have to have a cable plugged into it like a caveman. So, you know. Going back to this uh, you know, pipe dream or excellent idea, sort of like thousand paper cut type thing. Um, it's, it's difficult to ask this question given that it's about am I looking too much into the bubble when the people I'm talking to are probably all, also in that bubble. But I, I just sort of get the impression that there's a new group of people who are um, like the elementary team, uh, the Marte team, Solus and, and what have you, that are sort of a groundswell of new distros which are getting a lot of traction and they're a lot more personable like you hear a lot from martin Wimpress, you hear a lot from yourself ike on google plus and what have you and you you know you, the the guys who are on elementary obviously have a good uh, pr and there's i'm sure there's, there's a couple of other distributions that are escaping me at the moment but they they seem to have like smaller teams of individuals that you feel you can communicate with whereas when it was you know ubuntu and suza you're not really sure it's sort of these these big amalgamations they just sort of spit things out and i'm wondering if that's like a slight uh shift in the landscape as to how the the more popular um sort of distributions are, are coming about and how they're working i, I realize as i say it's difficult asking if i'm just looking inside my bubble but is that is that sort of a a sensible thought well i think it's a changing of the guard and i'm not going to be popular for saying that but it really is. I mean, we've we've had a landscape that's been fairly rigid in terms of how it's run and who the players are in this landscape for a long time. And, you know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, projects like Elementary, they have been around for a few years now, but it's in the last few years, probably two to three years, that things have really started to take off where it's, it's you're not just rejected now on the grounds that, well, you're not a corporation. You're not a big company. We've had the big companies doing this for us for years now, and it's worked fine. Nowadays, it is kind of uh, shifting. And you're right, there are personally identifiable people that you can talk to who reach out. But then again, you could probably relate that to the rise of social media. Mm, yeah. And in particular, the rise of Google Plus as the, the, the kind of escapist platform for Linux enthusiasts. Effectively. Yeah, the nerd social media. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, in the last few years, that's, that's kind of where we've all gone. Google Plus did not take off. We're kind of the kings of Google+. Plus. It's all tech. You've got the Android guys. You've got the Linux guys. A few Mac guys. Who knows? Uh, I think that's probably a major contributing factor. You know, everybody's able to network so much more readily now that they see these changes for themselves. And the most popular content on Google+, Plus is what? A screenshot. It gets thousands of shares. People look at it. You put a one-line blurb on it, and then that gains traction going around the internet. You start doing a centralized blog, Nobody reads it. Nobody reads blogs. <laughs> With the best will in the world, nobody's going to read your release notes, your change logs. 
If you've got a screenshot there with two or three lines of text saying, look at the sexy new feature that's coming up, people are all over that. So I think that's a huge factor of why it's more accepted now for these individuals and small teams. If only Google wasn't about to kill Google Plus, eh? Yeah. Don't worry, there's Neo Cities now. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's move it on then. Um, KDE Connect, that is something that is amazing as far as I'm concerned. The best thing about Plasma 5 and KDE Neon, and that allows you to communicate with an Android phone, control your computer with the phone, and uh, transfer files backwards and forwards. And it's something that you've tried out quite a lot, isn't it, Phelan? Oh, yeah, I use it all the time. Um, <laughs> a feature I discovered on either day that I obviously just have never had my phone connected up whilst getting a call to my phone because it paused my music player in KDE. I was like, what the hell's happened to my music player? Why has it gone mute? And I saw a bubble pop up saying incoming call. I was like, Jesus, okay. So, yeah, it's fantastic. It's great. It's been there for ages now at this point, but it's it's rock solid. It's just so good. <laughs> Ironically, about one of the few ways I can reliably transfer photos off my phone because, well, USB, MTP, junk, and Bluetooth are just a farce. So Yeah. 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 So when you power on your computer, does it auto see the phone and auto link, or do you have to sort of um, uh, pair it? I assume it? I turn my PC off. <laughs> <laughs> no, more likely when I switch my phone onto Wi-Fi, yeah, it just pops up. I can see a little icon pop up in the taskbar, and I can see that that's my phone now on the same network, essentially. And, yeah, they just talk to each other. Well, anyway, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because someone has forked um, some aspects of it. Uh, Stephen Lopes, he's called. And now you can install it via PPA on other Ubuntu systems, and I think on Arch as well, but I haven't tried that. Boo, splitters. And it needs a lot of KDE stuff. It pulls down a lot of KDE dependencies, but I tried it on XFCE and it worked more or less perfectly. The, the file transfer stuff didn't work, but I think in Unity it will work better. So yeah, it's KDE Connect for anyone, asterisk, as long as you're running Ubuntu. So what Ubuntu are you running? What base? Uh, Ubuntu, I think I tested it on 16.04. And you did the full dependency install, that huge list that comes up, like most of KDE. Yeah. Okay. You bit that bullet because I was I was also looking at it, uh, but like I said, in these five days I've had no internet. And when I saw that list come up and how how many hundreds of meg it was, I thought, no, my phone's not going to take that kind of uh, hit on the bandwidth. So I'll just I'll, I'll put that to one side. But it's, it's good to see that it works, and uh, it wasn't it hasn't previously been on Ubuntu, has it? It's been KDE only. Well, I did install it before as, as just KDE uh, Connect in Zubuntu, and it worked somewhat. You could do the controlling the PC via the, the touchpad on the phone, um, and some of the stuff worked, but it, it just wasn't properly integrated, whereas this seems to be a few tweaks to that to make it work better with GTK desktops. Okay, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah, so GTK and KDE. Yeah. So I just there's not much to say about it, but I just thought it was worth flagging up as it's such an excellent feature of KDE um, Plasma 5. I thought, yeah, it's available for more desktops now. So check it out. Okay, and we covered a little bit of uh, Lineage OS in the last show, in our first show. And this is the, um, not predecessor, successor to, uh, to CyanogenMod. And there wasn't a lot to be said about. There was a few images when we last talked about it um, that were all for sort of um, small groups or, or 
just homegrown kind of ROMs and things. So it wasn't really the official Lineage OS lineup. And now they still haven't really released any images. Is that the answer? Uh, no, there are some available now. Not many, um, f- but for some phones, including mine, which I haven't tried because I want to test it on other devices first, really. But yeah, there's some Google, you know, some Nexus. I think it's, yeah, 6P and the 5X and some Motorola phones and a few odd phones. But they basically, the, the official builds are starting to roll out now. I would have thought by the time people are listening to this, there are probably more phones that are, have got official builds. So um, we'll link to it anyway. It's download.lineageos.org. Oh, I see. Yeah, I went to the download page and it says coming soon, but actually you have to set yeah. the device on the left-hand side and the yeah. OnePlus 3 is not there. Boo. No, not yet. Well, I mean, I want to try it on a Nexus 5, well, 4, 5, or 7, basically. They, they are the devices that I want to test it out on first just to see. Because the thing is that we're getting um, nightlies once a week, so you would say weeklies. I was always uh, a snapshot man. I would always wait for a snapshot once a month and and do the over there updates for that. But that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So I might have to live on the edge a bit, but I really want to test it on something else first, really, before I put it on my main daily driver phone, the OnePlus One. Just don't update on the 1st of April like I did last year. Oh yeah, what happened? Uh, it was a Donald Trump-based April Fool's. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere on the phone, continual garbage messages. It was great. Oh, well, the joke's on them. <laughs> um, so the, the other thing is that it's not going to have root out of the box unless you flash a separate zip from now on, which I'm a bit disappointed by, to be honest, because I it's something I need for the OnePlus One. I need to put the buttons in the right place, and I need to have Adaway as well. I need to be able to edit my host file, basically. So it's something that I'm, it's another step that I'm going to have to go through, basically. I'm going to have to flash the the ROM, the root, and the G apps. I know, Phelim, you are not going to be flashing the G apps. I will but, not. But uh, presumably you will be flashing the root. Well, that, that's an interesting thing. I'm not entirely sure what I have that requires it, but I'm pretty sure there must be something. Don't use an ad blocker then? No, I don't actually. I've I've got a side with Phelim. I'm I've not got root on my phone. Um, and when I was previously putting different ROMs and things on, I made sure I had to have root, and there was mostly for titanium backup. But now I have different ways of backing up things, and I don't bother backing up all the apps because they're very the ones that are important. Uh, you know, like pick one out of thin air, LastPass, for example. It it syncs with itself when I log back in, so I don't need to sort of save its state or anything, and and keep all these um you know all the files and what have you. So actually, all the backups are not so so pertinent to me. So I don't think I well I don't have root on my phone now. I'm not sure what I would really need it for. Imagine probably a network utility maybe, but I don't know. That's a good question. I should find out. Well, I can't live without it. I'm afraid. Stop so. hating the content creators, Joe. <laughs> yeah, they've got to get they've got to get paid too. They've got lives to lead. Yeah, yeah. Um my heart bleeds for them. Um right, let's talk about the FSF, everyone's favorite organization, the Free Software Foundation. And their high priority free software projects list, which they've updated recently. They've uh, they've brought it into the 21st century. Not that you would think so if you look at their website on a phone. It looks absolutely terrible. I don't think any of them actually own a phone. That might be the problem there. 
But that's their first priority anyway on this list is a free phone operating system, which seems a bit strange given that you've got Lineage OS, which is apart from the blobs which are required to actually make the thing run, if you don't flash Google Apps like failing, then you've got a free phone operating system. So Yeah, but you're kind of at the mercy of the firmware though, aren't you? Like if you look at Replicant, for instance, try and install that on any phone you have and be lucky if you get Wi-Fi working. You're almost to the point where you have to connect USB and use like AT commands to control the modem. Yeah, but the problem here is not a free phone operating system. It is free firmware for the components of the phones. That's surely what the priority should be because we've got well, we've got AOSP and um, Cyanogen Mod um, lineage. So why do you need a free phone operating system? You need drivers. I mean, I suppose that is the third one: free drivers, firmware, and hardware designs. Well, to take to take your favorite phrase, the elephant in the room is surely the fact that everything you've mentioned stands on the shoulders of Google. True. Yeah, if they work away from it, there's you know no security updates. There's very little community-based security updates, I would imagine. Yeah, you're probably right there. If Google were to just say, right, we're not doing Android anymore, then yeah, everyone would be knackered pretty much. There'd be the existing ROMs out there, and there'd be a few people who could do some security updates, possibly. But yeah, so I suppose yeah, we do need one that doesn't depend on Google. But I suppose they're not going to be as um, explicit as that, are they? But another one, real-time voice and video chat. Many widely used voice over IP programs like Skype and FaceTime use proprietary protocols and non-free implementations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, have they not heard of Spreed? Spreed.me. This has nothing to do with the software. This is the high-priority list for things that need to be done. You know, this is what the FSF have decided on the money that they have that these are the things that should be tackled. Read between the lines here. This is nothing to do with the software. This is all an ideological campaign. Who hates Skype the most in the world? Me. No. <laughs> Who has it in their email signature? RMS. Does he? RMS has it in his own email signature, linking to his own information about why you should not use Skype. The other evil of the world is Android. This here, this is not a high priority list for things we need. This is for things they detest. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but you said about being at the mercy of the firmware. Who would you rather be at the mercy of, the firmware or the FSF? <laughs> and I know that's a controversial thing and people are going to give me shit for it, but I'm sorry, but these people have no fucking relevancy in the, in the 21st century because none of, this, none of this actually helps anyone or helps anyone get forward. They're talking about things that already exist. There's projects already out there that they can do these things. If the FSF actually went, well, do you know what? We're going to stop putting our ideological campaign first on these things. Actually look at the facts of the situation. Realize there are projects out there that could be guided, funded, and assisted to provide the goals that they need. And instead, they're saying, well, this is a list of things that need to be done. You fucking think? What, drivers are a problem? I really didn't notice. The free drivers themselves are shit. And I'm not being funny. Look at Nova. It's not Fred safe. And to this day, you can't even run GM10X and GM20X with a stable release. None of this is news. Like, how do they think any of this is news? This is actually insulting that they have the gall to put out this list to people that they're actually fucking supporting them and to put their campaign in front of the people's actual needs. Like, th this is a joke. 
These are the people who are supposed to represent open source and what people need in this world. And this is the best a fucking committee could come up with. Open source? FSF? I don't uh, think so. Free software. <laughs> I know. He's going to hate me now. I confused the terms. That was bad of me. <laughs> I will take that one. I will take that bullet. But seriously, this is... No. Well, it, another one, intelligent personal assistant. I mean, yeah, we've bagged on Minecraft as not being very good, but at least it is open source. It is there. You know, it's it's as if the FSF don't actually look at what projects are out there. You're right. I mean... They could just help Minecraft. They've yeah. got... They have got good developers. This is the thing. There are great developers who are part of the FSF. And I'm sorry for for mixing up the terms there. That was actually bad of me, right? That was bad of me. But they have got fantastic developers and they've got connections all around the planet. So when you see a high-profile project starting to come to prominence on GitHub, do you look at it and say, ooh, well, this is part of the non-free world. We, we, we should treat this as evil. Uh, no. You, you start speaking to them. You say, right, well, you know, would you be interested in becoming a GNU project? This is the support we'll give you. Here's our infrastructure you can use. These are our contacts in the industry that you can speak with. You know, these are these outreach campaigns we've got because GNU has those resources. FSF has those resources, has those people. So why not mix the best of two worlds together and give the people the help they need? Because every one of these things on there, there is somebody already trying to do it. Mix them up. Marry them. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a subscription with them, right? <laughs> Not for much longer. Well, <laughs> so. as, as for the free phone operating system, uh, that's something Cubicle Nate got in touch on Twitter, I think, to say, um, I'm hoping the major Linux distros can collaborate on a mobile platform. OpenSUSE, Fedora, and Ubuntu working together. And I don't know, potentially under the shepherding of the um, the FSF, maybe we could get an alternative to Android that the the major distros all get together and help out with. But I don't know, is that another pipe dream? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, because, all right, so we agree there is a need for a free operating system. There, Not only that, we need one that's updated, secure. You know, so everyone who has a device is, is not at the mercy of OTA updates that you're never going to get, like we were talking last episode about my abandoned phone. You know, I've been left out in the dark. So there, there, we agree there's a definite need for it, but is there some way we can do this in a collaborative fashion that, that doesn't fail like so many of the Linux Foundation projects that once they went up onto the banner, that, that was kind of it. You need something that also, to put it bluntly, plays into the business interests of the companies backing the developers doing this. So if those areas were addressed, like, okay, so Ubuntu could do this, but where, where does Canonical benefit? Fedora could do this, but I mean, where, where's the benefit there to Red Hat? You know, there are those aspects to, to think about because it, those developers are being paid for. So you've kind of got to justify the business part of it as well. If someone more intelligent than me can do that, please do. <laughs> well, surely the, the business part has to come from the people who are making the money on the mobile platform, which is going to be the handset developers or the handset manufacturers because like samsung has uh tizen and that's you know not gone very far but they're hedging their bets against android and google so you need a better version of tizen so that you know samsung htc if they're actually still a thing uh sony and what have you have a a, a card to play against google and say you know we're going to move over to this if you don't do this this and this you know so they're not beholden to google so much 
But hang on, the the money that's made on phones is not by the manufacturers, it's by the services and the content. That's why Apple makes so much money because they've got the content as well as hardware and obviously they charge ridiculous amounts of money for it. But the Android OEMs don't make any money at all. And that's why some of them are starting to pull out now. And I think back on Luddites, we, we talked about a story where essentially the only reason why a lot of the OEMs are still in the phone market is so that they're seen to be in the phone market. And so it's like a lost leader for their tellies and and that kind of stuff and their other electronics. So really the only way to make money is through services and Ubuntu have tried to do that. Canonical have tried to do it with their, um, you know, partnerships with um, the music. uh, I can't remember what they're called. Seven digital. Seven digital. Yeah. Um, And that presumably hasn't, worked out that well otherwise there'd be more developers working on it and we wouldn't have been talking about last episode them parking the project i don't know i i mean one how do you go up against the the mighty google <laughs> i was watching the mighty boosh earlier sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i mean Quality. one how it is but how do you go how do you go up against google and then because people are coming out from two ways you're either competing with google or you're you're giving them a warning, you know. It's Google basically they own everything that isn't Apple in terms of smartphones. It's Windows kind of ain't relevant there. So a lot of people are doing it's like, well, you know, we have this, we have this funding, we have this power. We're going to back this different effort, which kind of forces the hand of your competitor. And that's usually what that tactic is used for. Rarely is it actually real competition. Like we are going to market with this. And if we see something like that, then yeah, perhaps it's going to happen. But like you say, you need to you need to solve the content problem because whoever owns it, you need to have the licensing sorted out so that it's funding it. You also need to make sure that you've got some sort of app store in place. You need the APIs for people to actually want to target your platform and don't ship it on shit hardware. <laughs> Just don't do it. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors to it. And the, the mobile market is saturated. It's damn near impenetrable. I mean, the one who could didn't. And that was canonical. They, they just, they couldn't do it. Well, Microsoft couldn't do it, could they? Yeah, if they can't do it, you're screwed. <laughs> just give up, go home. I mean, you'd need Google to fuck up seriously for them to have, you know, a reason for other people to want something that isn't Android. I mean, I hate to say it, but I'm sort of happy poodling on with Android because it's got all the apps and everything. And this is the problem that we always talk about with Microsoft and Canonical and any other um, competitor that tries to get on is is the lack of apps and it's, it's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? You know, you don't have the apps, you don't have the people, people apps. It goes backwards and forwards, so it's a, it's a bit of a catch twenty two in the middle. Right. Well, I think we've done that to death. Let's uh, let's move on a bit of admin to get out of the way. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. That's got the email address, which is show at latenightlinux.com and various other things, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and also Telegram. I have worked out that with a simple HTTP redirect, you don't get spammers, apparently. And this is, I've taken it on advice from a couple of people. So if you want to join us in the Telegram group, which is very busy, usually in the middle of the night, living up to the name, latenightlinux.com slash Telegram. And uh, all four of us are in there. But uh, don't see much of you and Phelim, Jesse. That's because we work for a living. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not up at the wee hours. We're uh, sleeping. Or if we are panicking because we didn't do something we should have done <laughs> earlier in the day. So yeah, check it out anyway. It's pretty busy. There's a lot going on. 
Don't forget to mute the notifications and don't read back. <laughs> yeah, never scroll back. Oh, yes. Law. I found this as well. I thought, uh, it's only 80 or so messages. I can get through that. And by the time you get to the bottom of it, there's another 70. Like, okay, just go to the bottom and, and see what's being chatted about. Yeah, no, it's when you see the Telegram quote of, oh, yeah, that's a great idea from a previous message. <laughs> like, I must find the other message to know what it was. Yeah. Um, and also, um, there are continuing problems with player.fm. I think on Android in the Play Store, it's uh, Podcast Player Free is what it's called. And it's a cloud-based, I don't even know what. I've tried it several times, mostly because people have complained about the audio. The bottom line is this. If you listen to the OG in that player, it mangles it and it sounds absolutely terrible. Pops and clicks and all sorts of problems. So you've got a few options. One is disable the advanced player, which is on by default, which... I think you need in order to have uh, playback at different speeds and that kind of stuff. Or use the MP3, which seems to be unaffected. Or use a proper podcasting client like AntennaPod, which is proper free software. None of this proprietary nonsense. If you're using the OG feed, then you must care about freedom. So use a proper free software player, AntennaPod. Or if you don't and you want the MP3s, use Pocket Cast because that's the best podcast player. No, no, write your own downloading script to dump them on your own server in chronological order. W, get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, with your own fork of a 2011 version of the codec before it went proprietary as well. <laughs> of course. Oh, dear. It's, it's funny that I was speaking to, to the Player FM support on Twitter, and I said to them, we went over this before, it's your advanced audio player, an Orwellian name if ever I'd heard one. Please disable by default. And so then we had a bit more back and forth about you know, can you try this? Can you try that? And then they said to me, thanks for the info. Can you please ask Orwellian to go to help with your problem <laughs> and send logs to our developer? And I'm like, are you shitting me? Seriously? Are they taking the piss or is it serious? <laughs> Seriously? Like, what? And you reply with it's just like, four numbers, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I just, just humoured them, to be honest. I just whatever. If they if that's who they've got working on support, it doesn't bode well for the rest of it, does it? But it's probably just some person getting paid, you know, two quid an hour in uh, some dodgy country somewhere. Um so yeah, right, let's talk about Chrome OS then and the proper windowed Android apps that you can run in it. And the fact that all new Chromebooks going forward are going to support these Android apps. And so it sort of begs the question, is Chrome OS finally going to bring about the year of Linux on the desktop? But that begs the other question, is Chrome OS even, does it even count as Linux on the desktop? So the question here being, do you even Linux, bro? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know, do you think that Chrome OS counts as Linux, first of all? Uh, it's got a Linux kernel. <laughs> it's got a screen. I mean, it's it's a desktop. It it runs Linux, therefore it is Linux on the desktop. Yeah, right? well, well, this is the it thing. It might not be GNU slash Linux, and it might not be SystemD slash Linux, but it is still Linux. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the the term Linux has become kind of muddied, hasn't it? Like, and I'll be very careful how I say this. <laughs> so you have what's considered GNU Linux, and. <laughs> That's kind of like the desktop Linux world. And then you've got yeah. Android and Chrome, which they kind of distance themselves from that kind of association. And I'm not sure if it was intentional, but I mean, they're they're not really associated with Linux. They have the Linux kernel. 
But in terms of uh, community development processes, technology involved, the stack, it, it's like a whole different creature. And I, I kind of think that's intentional to, to keep it in, in its own world. Is that not the recipe for success, though? Because we, it has been a success. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous, um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of slowly pursuing the same thing myself. And yeah, I mean, it's worked for them. They're It's kind of that going back to that thing about operating system versus distribution, isn't it? You've got Linux distros, which even with my own, it's it's still a Linux distribution. You know, you've got things that you know are going to be the same between all of them. You have some kind of init system, you have X on top, probably some kind of GNOME stack, you know, and then you've got Android. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're differentiating the fact that while it might have Linux under the hood of the kernel, everything else about the way that it operates and the way you interface with it and all the, the, the stack and everything is so different that you can just sort of say, well, it's not Linux in, in its heart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a Linux distro. It's a Linux-based operating system in the truest sense, and that there's nothing else of the Linux world in there, really. And there's a couple of bits, like, you know, Codex and some libraries, but yeah, it's not like our our stuff. And presumably, Phelan, you have absolutely no interest in Chrome OS because of the proprietary nature of it. Yeah, none whatsoever. I mean, to me, a distro has to give the user power. So, you know, you want to be able to give that laptop to somebody in you know india or whatever and say if you study all this if you work on these things you too could contribute to computer science whatever you're not going to be able to do that on a chromebook you're going to be able to use it it's going to be great you might be able to type up docs whatever but it's a it's like a tablet you know they're not tools for real creation of stuff and i don't think that's empowering so i'd come from the side where if it's not able to you know write its own software whatever it's you know, it's nice, but it's it's not really a proper tool. Why do the Linux Foundation give away Chromebooks to people studying their courses then? <laughs> well, yeah, it's very good for consuming stuff. So there you go. And they, you know, have the codex. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you're not going to really get deep down into kernel uh, sort of stuff or you're not going to learn to code C on it, are you? So, well, I mean... There might be a Node.js app for it. like where you can... <laughs> If you hate yourself. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're consumer devices, aren't they? They're, they're, they're a client operating system. It's, this, is, this is the deployment end of it. So like a normal Linux distribution is self-hosting in that you can use it to build itself again. And I think that's the key differentiator here. You could not use Chrome OS to build itself again. I don't think you could Hello World using Chrome OS. Because the thing is, it's it's not a compositing display manager like you would think it is. It's literally Google Chrome. Like the web browser is your desktop. And the Ash yeah. window manager, well, I say that in the loosest possible terms, it's part of Google Chrome because at the back end, it knows how to do EGL. And I think it uses Glass. I would have to check. I'm probably wrong on that one. But basically, it is the compositor. It is the desktop. It is the display stack in itself. So, yeah, Chrome is basically the bulk of the operating system there. I think it's the wrong way to go, to be honest. I think you should always allow somebody to get into the creative side and not have to go and go, oh, well, if you want to do that, you've got to go out and get a workstation. 
you know, that was why the PC from the 80s, that's why all the programmers got to be where they were, is they got to tinker. They got the basic book and machine code, and they got to play with all the things. Too complicated with machines these days to do a lot, but if you can't even get access to the base system, it's effectively just a, a monitor. That's all it is. And yet it's massively popular in education. If you look at the stats from America, Chromebooks are doing brilliantly well, presumably because they're cheap. It's a cheap way to get people online and using things like Google Docs, basically. Yeah, but that's hardly going to be from the computer science side of it, though. That'll be just a device to access PDFs, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But are Google really targeting computer science? Because I don't think they do. And with these devices, I mean, in America, it's basically the the magic $300 figure. You know, it's affordable for basically anyone, and it does all of their computing needs at a very general level. You got your web browser, and of course, a more technical level, yeah, you have codecs and stuff like that. Most of the stuff is web-based. Well, in terms of Chromebook, it's all web-based. They they can write up docs, they can save them. Like you say, they can do PDFs, they can go on Facebook, they can go on Twitter, play a few simple games on there. And, you know, have interchangeable stuff with Windows to an extent. But what about these Android apps now, though? I mean, the Android apps we've got at the moment tend to be consumption apps, but there's nothing stopping you writing a a complex Android app that would let you do proper coding on there, for example. Well, that's that's a horrific thought because (laughs) Android apps, they're Java. So you've got this Java app running in specialized runtime, running inside of Google Chrome, which itself is essentially a huge virtual machine, to then have a compiler inside of that as well? That's sake. <laughs> is that like dividing by zero? Kind of. <laughs> like, I, I, my eye's not going to stop twitching for like a week now. <laughs> and you just know Larry Ellison will be tailing you around the curb looking for you because you're right Java and you're not paying him money. Where's his cut? But all right, let's 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 forget about computer science and doing something useful with it. Let's put our consumer hats on. And and think in terms of a consumer device, does it not become much more attractive if you can now run Android apps on it? Hell yeah. I mean, you've got specialized apps that are already available. Again, even things like Facebook or, God forgive me for saying it, uh, Farmville. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like all those silly gem games. You've got tons of stuff on there. You've got stuff for productivity on there. The thousands of apps are now available on there. So whereas before it was basically just a glorified web browser, which is good for, as you say, for things like research, they've now just instantly bolded on a massive selection of applications on there. And the important thing about a successful app store is not necessarily that it has lots of good apps. It just has lots of apps, especially lots of shit ones where you can just install and say, "Eh, yeah, that was all right. Dismiss it and don't think about it again and just go and install another app. Look for an alternative. Look for a review. The content itself isn't isn't actually that important as to the amount of content and the choice. It's really the paradox of choice. If you give people five good applications, they'll complain that they only have five good applications. If you hide those five applications in 200 terrible applications that they will never use, they won't complain. Because they felt they found the gem in, in amongst all the shit. Basically, yeah. Yeah. They went rooting for the bargain, basically, which is, you know, it's human nature. 
But yeah, but that's the that's the way that I install Linux applications as well. Is that you have to say, right, what's the best you know photo editor this week? And here's ten photo editors, and you have to find the one that does the thing you want, or you know works with GTK or Qt or whatever. So I think you have the same problem in Linux as well with all these mm. all these different applications. All right, well, let's talk about uh, picking gems out of shit then and uh, talk about Solus. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know which way that works. So you created a bit of a fuss uh, over the weekend, Ike, wow. with your announcement that Solus is going to adopt Flatpak for third-party applications. So just to get this straight, you're not adopting Flatpak wholesale, are you? Mm. You're not going to be installing your open source stuff that way it's only basically this is for chrome isn't it? it basically yeah i mean that's kind of the biggest problem for me so for a lot of people you know flatpak and snap it's the, it's the universal packaging and all of the things are going to be flatpak i can now have unstable gedit who gives a flying fuck about unstable gedit i'm sorry but it, it's part of the os stack for me it's it's those things we're not allowed to ship so in Solus, we have like a really awful mechanism for getting Google Chrome. I think you actually tried that, didn't you, Joe? Uh, I have before tried it, and it seems to work reasonably well. Um, <laughs> reasonably. Yeah, but this is your <laughs> attempt to make it work flawlessly then. Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of what I do is, I mean, it takes a while, but it's kind of about seeking technical excellence, really. And over time, you start to see more and more flaws and again, it's going back to the whole light twitching thing. Just can't quite live with myself. And it, it's a poor user experience for people because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, which it, that's unacceptable to start with. And I just want something that's basically in, effectively bulletproof. They get that. And then the most important part of it is they keep getting the updates without having to do it manually. Something like a web browser, you want that kept up to date all the time. So that's kind of the main drive for me, giving me a, a safe and efficient way to do this where users always have the latest version of it. For normal apps, we'll just package them. They're open source. <laughs> and so which ones are you going to add to this then, apart from Chrome? Well, basically everything that's in our third-party list now will be going to Flatback. Uh, whatever method of madness it takes, it, it doesn't really matter because... The way we're doing Google Chrome, we actually won't be using most of the features of Flatpak, somewhat ironically. So we won't be, for the Google Chrome one, it won't be running in a sandbox. It won't need a runtime or anything like that. It'll just be using the deployment method of it. And we'll do that for quite a few of them. And then third party in Solus would just be completely replaced. That'd be it. You'll update, like the, the existing versions you have will be forcibly removed during the update process. You will be notified about it. And say, like, this is now the secure, stable method of ensuring you are up to date with these applications, which I think, even though it's not nice having to go through that force removal process, it's, it's something we have to do for our users out of concern for them and making sure they are secure. And I think they'll forgive us. What does it mean for config files and stuff then? For something like Google Chrome, it's, it's not going to be running in a sandbox. So it's still going to have access to your normal files because Inside Google Chrome, it actually has its own sandboxing mechanism, which is set UAD. So those don't currently work inside a flatback because you're going sandbox inception at that point. Yeah. Um, so Google Chrome and that, it's, it's going to keep working. I mean, it's one of the rules of Solus updates. If we push something that requires manual intervention, we done fucked up. Yeah. So basically, I'm not going to lose all my bookmarks and 
extensions and all that kind of stuff. It's just going to be exactly as was. And essentially, the the user is not even really going to know the difference. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea, isn't it? Like, when you do these updates, I mean, especially with Sol has been rolling, you've, you've got to go for, like, the most... <sighs> pain-free update experience like it should everything should be completely transparent and there should be no guesswork or do i have to change this after i've updated we don't push it out if it's going to mean that you've got to go change this config option or remove these files before updating none of that is allowed you don't don't need to read the wiki before you update yeah you kind of saw where i was going with that didn't you (laughs) (laughs) yeah just a slight dig at arch small one uh yeah but we we don't allow that to go through we do our damnest to ensure we don't make those kind of breaks because it's not nice on the user. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I updated and then, oh, right, well, you're hosed. Sorry. So looking at the flatpack.org site, I can see a dozen flatpacks and there's a bunch of GNOME (laughs) applications. A, that's not very many if that's their full list and B, Chrome isn't on there. So let's ignore A. Are you going to package Chrome yourself ready for it being flat packed yeah okay and why flat pack are not um snaps uh. <laughs> you've got to answer it everyone's everyone's wondering it ah fine i'll i'll be nice <laughs> uh, well i'll try anyway you you prefer the logo fine let's move on <laughs> it, it's kind of it the colors they just do it for me <laughs> yeah. um no i mean it it had to come from a technical place this decision and it's something it's no secret you know i've been banging on about this now for probably six or seven months or something like that it, it's been over google plus and so basically within about three minutes of snap existing <laughs> Every question was, why are you not using Snap? Because it's only just started fucking existing, you muppet. <laughs> Which, when it started to get a bit older, okay, that's fair. Then you start to ask these questions like, okay, it's starting to mature. Why aren't you using Snap? And at the time, it was the same as Flatpak. It just wasn't relevant to us. Now, most people adopting Snap or Flatpak, they're going for universal applications. That's what's important to them. I don't want universal applications. <laughs> Fair enough. Leaving it as an option for people to have in the future. Yes. Okay. That part is important. I will concede that fact. In terms of an open source application, we will always make sure that we provide the native version because it's more better. <laughs> but Flatpak has a couple of things that Snap doesn't have. So Snap has the brand, brand advantage. Everybody knows what Snap is. It's all over the news. Everybody's talking about it. It's the current hot, sexy thing. So common sense says that I should have chosen Snap. Well, not for me. In terms of integrating it inside of Solus, there's there is a lot of obstacles to be overcome to do it properly. Now, you they they say you don't need app armor, you know, like that's only if you want to fully integrate it. But obviously, I'm not going to half-ass the job. You're going to fully integrate it. So those given that argument, it's it's not valid. Saying it's like, well, actually, you know, it, it can go along without app armor. No, it needs to be done. Now, the problem is, not only we do not do we not have app armor and Solus, the version that uh, is using Ubuntu is effectively a fork inside of the kernel. It's it's fundamentally incompatible with the upstream version in terms of what Snap is looking for. Additionally, we'd have to change the build infrastructure. We'd have to change how we do our packages to support the build dependencies for Snap D, 
Then there's the fact that Python, uh, Snapcraft is Python. It just gained a Python Debian dependency. So these are the kind of things I'm looking at. And then I'm looking at Flatpak, which was two packages, <laughs> which was OS3. That went in straight away. To be fair, I updated a build dependency for it. And then I put Flatpak in and boom, it was working. Now, the more important part for that it wasn't just that because, okay, yeah, that's me being lazy. You know, I could have just packaged it. The fact is, all the time I've spoken about these things on Google+, one thing has remained constantly true. I get discussions from canonical people after the fact. It's always after something I have said has been shared. It's always a day or two later on. It's like, well, you know, if, if, if you just looked at this thing or if you just done that thing. So I appreciate them reaching out to me, but it's always too late. And it's never at a technical discussion level. With Flatpak, any time I've ever questioned this online, and it's mostly Alexander Larson, the, the guy who's, you know, the main brains behind Flatpak, always willing to reach out on Google+. And to be honest, when it's something like uh, Flatpak, you know, I can get a bit honest at times. <laughs> and it, it can be hard to, to interact with that. But, you know, bless him, he's, he's, every time he's come back and been willing to discuss all of the elements of it, and having that someone you know is passionate about their project and who's actually making all those upstream changes and willing to work with new projects is like trying to accept you into it and discuss things, the technical merits, as well as the shortcomings and not just give you the verbiage from the, the corporate side. It's, it, it builds a lot of confidence. And that in itself, along with the fact that within, uh, within Flatpaks, you can download additional sources at runtime. Those are the main two things that actually won me over in the end. So it was the technical side. It was the outreach from the developers on a technical level, like willing to not talk bullshit with me, but actually just talk on a technical level. Those are the parts that have finally won me over. Can I just quote from a forum post, which Jesse dug, dug up? Uh, Flatpak makes no sense for Solus. Uh, and then it replaces entire system runtimes and system applications too. To me, this is unacceptable. And so this is what you said in June last year, Ike. I did. And the way that it was being posed back then, now at the time, it didn't have the feature I'm looking for now. So for the Google Chrome problem, you can now run that without the file system, uh, without the file system sandbox and without the runtime as well. And more specifically, it can download those sources at runtime install them. So to all intents and purposes, Google Chrome would be run like a native binary without the runtimes, without all that jazz. So that deployment aspect now inside Flatpak is solved, which allows me to do that. Had it been a case of running as a full Flatpak, then yeah, I was very much against it because I don't, this is only for third-party applications results. I don't want to do this as a general response to, we need this package. Okay, well, let's just ship it up with this generic runtime and then have it run fully inside a container and then have none of the advantages of Solus. That, to me, is the key problem of it. Once you start replacing all of the hard work we've done on that, it it kind of made those apps pointless because it was things being requested that we already had or were able to package. Well, that's my next question. So now you've got support for Flatpak, surely that means that any old Flatpak's going to work. And so they can the user can go off and download a Flatpak of the latest video editor or whatever and then run it. Sure, I mean... You know, I mean, they're, they're free to do that. And that's the important thing there that they, they have that freedom to make that decision by themselves. So the Solar Software Center will have full 
flatback integration, not just because we're replacing third party and we'll put a little sidebar there where you can install our flatbacks. No, that's, that's not right. We'll make sure it treats them almost like native packages in that they'll be fully integrated in there. It will know how to handle flatback repos. And if you want to install a flatback, add the repo and install it. I'm not going to stop you from doing that because again, it's the user's freedom to choose what it, what it is they want on their system. I don't own their computer. But you're not going to encourage it. No. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> when, it, when you're talking about the software center there, are you, I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, are you thinking about having them as a, uh, this is Chrome, by the way, it's a flat pack, it's installed like this, you know, it, the back end is doing this different thing, or will it just be, this is Chrome, click it, it'll install, and just entirely cover the fact that it's a flat pack? So it'll be transparently integrated. What we kind of want to do, at the moment we've got this third-party selection, which is completely alien to how most of Solus works. That's why it's in its own section. So what we want to kind of do there is get rid of the third-party section altogether, and those will appear alongside all of our own packages, which I think is only fair. And what we kind of want to do is move towards having some kind of an editor's picks, you know, like Android-style where you can show like the the best in class and what's hot and show some screenshots and show off the software. But it's quite likely that we will point them out as being Flatpak just for people who understand the differences between them and then might opt to go with a native option instead. Yeah, I think that's the sort of sensible way of going about it. And in my head, I was trying to work out, would you have maybe like a little icon on top of the logo for the application would you have there are certain times that you get a sentence in a description and you know that sentence means you know more than it's letting on but then you'd have to sort of be in the little gang to know and it's it's fair to say this is a flat pack people who know about it will you know take the information they need and people who don't know but want that application you know off they go yeah, and they can just install it again. It's their freedom to do so. I mean, we could even show like a, a little blue tag or something on the on the summary page that just says Flatpak. But that's all we need to do. It doesn't have to be invasive. But people who understand and go, oh, well, well maybe I'll request that they actually put a proper build in, and that that's fine. That's fine. Can I just bring up one thing here? Doesn't this feel a little bit like buying a Betamax recorder? when VHS was clearly going to win. Well, it doesn't matter that Betamax was technically superior to VHS. No, it's still lost. No, no, I know exactly what you're saying there, but the, the problem is here is also being responsible. And I mean, from the Solus perspective, we're not truly interested in universal applications. What we're interested in doing is solving the real problem. So yes, you know, Snap is building up Steam, as it were. We'll get back to that in a sec. Yeah, <laughs> and from my perspective, I I want the technology to be good. And I think by throwing ourselves behind Flatpak and engaging there and you know doing this in a way that everybody can benefit from it, not just Solus. So we'll have a publicly hosted Flatpak repo. So whatever we've got, you can have it too. And we'll push our efforts behind this and make them more available for people. And there's a lot of people in the Souls community now. Let's not forget, those people could be making flat packs with us as well. And once we adapt our tooling to make that easier, you know, the advantages that Snap currently enjoys, not as relevant. So to go back to your analogy of the Betamax, 
instead of just buying a Betamax, I decided to opt for the long term. I got a Betamax that also supports VHS. Fair enough. So Steam, uh, tentative link, what's all this about that you are working on a flat pack based optimized Steam runtime? Yeah, I mean, so this goes back to exactly what Jesse right, rightfully pulled out of that forum post. The The main thing I bitched about was the runtime, right? I, I had a real problem with people replacing all of the work that goes into the Solus libraries with some generic watered down stuff. Or, okay, that's not really fair, but in comparison to what Solus has, that was the thing that annoyed me. So I got to thinking, it's like, it can't be that hard to build a Steam runtime, right? And anytime any sentence starts off like that in my head, I know it's going to cause me problems. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I did that, I ended up with a new menu. <laughs> so, but I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, my, my biggest problem with Steam isn't Steam itself. It's not even that it uses 32-bit libraries. It's the fact that it's coming with a with epoxy 1204 runtime. And okay, you've you've got to give concessions. Games are built against this specific ABI. They've got to run against it. It's like okay. So it, what we did in Solus was basically start providing that ABI compatibility and overriding the Steam libraries with our own, which is where the Linux Steam integration project came from. And that's worked great for Solus so far. Long term, is it sustainable? Probably not, because Solus is rolling release. At some point, we're gonna break it. The other, if you like, the socially responsible part of it is only Solus is benefiting from that, which as much as it might be a feather in my cap, it's not really fair, is it? You know, that's it's almost proprietary in a sense, and I'm not exactly comfortable with that because we're sitting on this runtime and it's like, well, you know, if you run Solus, you'll get better steam. That's not cool. <laughs> it's true, but it's not cool. So... I thought, okay, if it's only the runtime I'm pissed off about, what if everybody could use the Solus runtime? And that's kind of what got my brain ticking over. So I thought, okay, Flatpak kind of has this whole ABI problem solved. What if we turn our experience of what we've already done in Solus and provide our own runtime through Flatpak that we could then make Steam use? So it would be built the way that the Solus runtime currently already is, but it'd be done in such a way that everybody who uses Flatpak would then be able to benefit from it immediately. We'd be able to apply optimizations in there that we can't even do currently in Solus because we'd have to think about the rest of the desktop. It's isolated from everything. So there are, there are a few problems to solve with it, um, like exposing the host drivers, but already talking with these guys upstream, you know, they're already taking patches from me. There's a discussion already starting around this stuff. So you would have this standardized runtime that everybody could use, everybody would be able to run Flatpak. And that was the proposal I basically dumped on a GitHub issue on the Steam for Runtime uh, link. And so to, to what extent do you need to get Valve involved with this? And have you reached out to them? Yes, yeah, so I reached out to them. Basically, Tom was like, look, this is my plan. This is what I intend to do. We've all been beating around the bush for this for far too long now. We acknowledge there is a problem. And as yet, there is not a real solution. And... You know, I basically, cards on the table, I've said, this is what I'm going to be building. I will give you a demonstration. You know, you're, I'm more than happy to take orders on the specification here because at the end of the day, it won't be me who owns this at the end. I obviously know, like, if it was something that Valve did want to adopt, it would be theirs. And I'm totally happy with doing that because it'd be something like an XDG gaming runtime almost. And, you know, I made them aware of the facts and gave them a chance to speak up. And I explicitly said there, at this time, I am not asking for a valve to commit. 
I'm just raising awareness around the issue because it surrounds their technology and their platform. So they know that there is an impending effort. This is what's going to happen. And if you're interested, kind of, you know, just say something. And that's what that's about. But it's, it's got people talking already as, <laughs> as you've seen. Um, and it's getting a discussion going around it. And we're starting to talk about the problems that currently would restrict the adoption. And that mainly surrounds about exposing the host drivers. One of the contributors to Flatpak has already solved about 70% of that problem in terms of exposing your host drivers without the ABI issues to the Flatpak runtime. So once all of that's done, you'd be able to use the same Flatpak runtime anywhere. You'd have the optimizations in it. Games would run better. And you wouldn't have the issues of, well, it, it, it works if you do this hacky workaround when you start up and you remove these files from the runtime or you use LSI or... We want all that to just go away now. And I think for a long time, we've pressured a lot of <laughs> pressure, steam. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow, I'm sad. Uh, yeah, we've piled a lot of pressure onto Valve. It's like, grr, you're using these runtimes, grr. I mean, the, the problem is kind of our own fault, Solus included. You know, you've got these ABI incompatible distributions. And what's Steam going to do is like, well, we're going to bundle our own libraries. Fuck you. <laughs> so it's just taking that one step further and kind of wrapping it all up nicely so it works everywhere. And have you heard anything back from Valve then? Uh, so there was one comment on there and was from one of the Valve developers and basically said, like, you know, how are you going to solve the library problem, uh, the libgl problem? And that's what I've explained there, that there, there are efforts in, in transit, if you like, and I'm already researching a couple of options. So obviously I'm not going to speak on their behalf and say the one thing or another because it's not my right at all. But the fact that there was any form of reply at all you know, I mean, to me, that sounds like kind of promising. And again, it's not something they have to adopt. If they chose, if they chose, well, you know what? We don't want to associate ourselves with that. Again, that's totally fine. But I'm still going to do it anyway. Right, fair enough. Well, that's enough uh, soulless talk, probably forever. Oh, please, yes. You're not allowed to talk about it ever again. <laughs> um, and I suppose that'll do it for episode two then. So, yeah, thanks everyone for listening and thanks for joining me, guys. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode three of Late Night Linux. All right, bye all. See you. Bye.